What a privilege it is for me to be called to speak to you again. This is my second time being invited to the uh, Master's Chapel, and I want to thank the individuals that invited me, and I want to uh, also thank you for taking out time coming to chapel. I think that it's not only mandatory, but it's a great privilege to be able to come and hear folk from the inner city come and share with you what God is doing in our ministry. And of course, in the lives of many of you, that will be called to go on various mission fields. But let's begin this time with a moment of prayer as we ask God's blessing. Father, we do thank you today for the opportunity to proclaim the word. For if the word was not proclaimed, we are just nothing before you. If we speak anything other than your word, it becomes our word and not yours. So therefore, Father, we praise and thank you for the opportunity to speak your truth. And now, Father, as we open our hearts to the spoken truth, we would ask that you would uh, just work a new work in our hearts. Show us something that we haven't seen before, that you may gain the glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I would ask you to open your Bibles to Acts chapter 18, please. Acts chapter 18. I find it ridiculous to think that I would be asked to come out and share with you in terms of what's going on in the body of Christ as we live up to the standard of the Word without taking you to a book that I deem as an action book. Within the past year, I've got through preaching an entire series in the book of Acts called Acts in Action, the book. And I think that if the church really wants to see a good example of what we're supposed to be doing You can't get a better glimpse of it than looking at the book of Acts. Now we focus on Acts chapter 18 because we see Paul entering into that marvelous city called Corinth. Now if you know anything about the city of Corinth, there was a saying going around and it went like this, have you been Corinthized yet? Corinth was the ultimate sinful city. Corinth was a city where when you went there for a vacation, If you had not experienced lust, pleasure, greed, immorality, well, you missed the vacation spot of the world. Now, while Paul is on his marvelous missionary journey, Paul sends, that is, God sends he and the team to Corinth. Paul befriends some individual. He starts a Bible study in the home. The church begins to grow. But something happens to this man in the midst of that mad city. So I'd like you to move on down a few verses and we'll begin our text this morning at um, verse 9 and we'll go on down through verses 11. And the Lord said to Paul in the night vision, Do not be afraid any longer, but go on speaking and do not be silent, for I am with you and no man will attack you in order to harm you, for I have many people in this city. And then the writer Luke goes on and says that he settled there for a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. I'd like to give a title to this very short but important message and I would hope that you would be able to track with me somewhat. And the title of this message is called Coming Out of the Huddle. You see, friends, it's football season. And what I did on last Monday night, and I like to take my Monday nights all from all ministry, and I love football. 
I love to see the offense and the defense. But I noticed something last Monday night while I was watching the game. The big three were up in the booth. They had the whirly guys singing the song and doing the rocket and the knocking. And, man, the commercials were selling beer and popcorn and everything. And everybody all over the country is sitting in front of that tube waiting on those two teams to come out there and clash. And then after the toss was given, one team got in a huddle. And when they got in that huddle, I said, now that's unique. What's going on? What are they, what's happening in that group of 11 men that are meeting together and speaking in secret? And then I watched them very close. When they broke out of the huddle, they all formed a different, a strange kind of a line. And then I saw the defensive team begin to shift because of what took place in the huddle. You see, my friends, the huddle is where you get your plan together. That's where you decide to figure out how you're going to conquer, uh, take some ground, do something for your team. And then when I saw that defensive line shifting around, putting their big guns up front, and then I saw the, the, the offensive team having their, their light and limb guys, you know, the, the skinny running backs. They're out there looking and they're ready to shift. They're ready to run. And everything happens in that huddle. I thought about the church. I thought about the church. And do you know what the church is? The church is huddling. The church is still trying to figure out what the call is. Especially young Christians. We don't have a sense to know exactly what God wants us to do. We come to the, one of the finest Christian colleges in the nation. And we say after four years, even if we go on into graduate school, I yet don't know what God wants me to do. And now during your mission conference time, God is still speaking to you and you're huddling. You're trying to figure out what it's all about. You're waiting on someone else to call the plays for you. God has already spoken to you, giving you his vision, but the church is in a huddle. I was speaking with my women on Tuesday night in the Bible study, and I said, Women, ladies, if you would talk to me, would you, <laughs> would you, <laughs> that's right, ladies, would you mind sharing with me the three things that you see, you know, that's a problem with the church today? And I think that the first thing is that, well, the church is in a state of chaos. That's all right. Fine, I like that. Chaos. Give me another C. Well, the church is in a state of confusion. I says, I like that. The church is in a chaotic stance and we're also confused. And so I said, think of a third one that starts with the letter C. And one lady raised her hand, and it was a deacon's wife, and she says, Pastor, I don't mean to be funny, but we're constipated. I said, that's it. The church is constipated. We're not moving. We're, we're, we aren't moving. We, we, we're, we're just, we're just, you know, nothing. I mean, we need excellent. We need something. There's something in the track that's blocked. And I said, well, you know, it's like Monday night football. You know, we're, we're, we're still huddling. Now let's look closely and look at Paul and see how this guy comes out of the huddle. And I think that we can see that very plain in verses 9 through 11. First of all, I would say that huddling is not uncommon to those that behave within the realm of athletic sports. A baseball guy's huddle, football guy's huddle, basketball guy's huddle. Whenever you're in a team effort, you huddle. You come together. Listen, you're going to the master's college. You're huddling right now here, friend. 
You're, you're all in that huddle. You're all together. Come on, are we tracking? Sure we're tracking. Do we know what to do? Sure we know what to do. Will you pray? Sure I'll pray tonight. Well, yes, yes, I'll do it. I'll leave this. I'll leave that. When you get out of here and that world faces you, the real world, you're going to look for that huddle. But it's too late. It's time for you to do something. It's my estimate that the church has been huddling for too long. And you know what? We've been huddling so long that the issue is not what does God want me to do. The issue is white and black and Asian and Latino. The issue in America now is how do we live next to them? That's not the issue, my friends. You're huddling. And what you need to do is to allow the quarterback to call the play, and you're supposed to line up on that line and get out there and take the challenge. You know, when we had to decide when we were going to come on radio, we were, you know, our team effort had to get together and say, what are we coming on radio for, just to make Pastor John look good? Heck no. Nobody wants to see me. Nobody wants to hear me. You know what people want to see? They want to see Jesus in action, out of the huddle, doing what he came here to do in the lives of the church. But the church can't do it because we're too busy huddling. Do you know what we do? We get two good godly men on one end of town and the other end of town, and we waste all of our time bickering over a doctrinal issue, and we have to, listen, we have to come to the grips through the issue through the Word. Do proper exegesis and exposition, and you won't have a problem with it. And if the guy's in left field, just tell him, you're off the court. You're not even in left field. You're so far away. I can't huddle with you. As a matter of fact, I'll call you what you are. You're a heretic extraordinaire. And I can't deal with you. See, that's a church that's out of the huddle. That's a church that knows the truth from error. That's a church that knows that the time for being friendly and kind and just, and just playing the passive game with the world, that won't work, friends. You're huddling. You're huddling. Let's get back to the text. And that's my problem as a pastor. I just run off at the mouth. Paul is in Corinth. <laughs> Paul is in Corinth. As a matter of fact, if there's no time for huddling, my friends, and Paul had the time to huddle, but if there was no time for huddling, it is, it is doubtful if something worthwhile is going to be accomplished in terms of defeating the opposing team. You're huddling now. You're in college. Do it right. Get your lessons. Stop cheating. Finish the assignment. Do the work. Stay off the telephone. Don't go to the park. Forget the basketball game. Get your books. Make straight A's. And then once you get out of this huddle, you know exactly what God wants you to do. And one of the worst things that you want to see is somebody wasting four years of their lives and coming out and God wants you to do something and has equipped you with one of the best educations in the world and you're still huddling. What a tragedy. Oh, I run into it all the time. You see, I teach young preachers in my community. And I tell them, look, brother, some of you, listen, some guys in my community will never be able to go to a college like this. They'll never do it. So what has God told me to do? Coleman, come out of the huddle, take all your education, give it to them absolutely free to build up your community. But Coleman, it's rough down there in the middle of South Central. Hey, that's why God put me there. I've left the huddle. He's called the play. And I'm just right there as that running back looking for the play. And I know that every time my quarterback throws it, I'm going to run out there and I'm going to run so many feet and I'm just going to put my hand up and that ball is going to right there and I'm going to catch it and I'm going to make the touchdown and I don't even worry about the defense. The defense is lost. I've won already. I've read the end of the book. I know how it's going to end. 
Now all I have to do is just make sure that I'm in the right play with the right quarterback. Now, some of the greatest players, and I'm telling you, we've had some, some of the greatest plays ever accomplished were contrived in an isolated, time-confined, pressurized thing called a huddle. And you can think of some of your favorite quarterbacks. I'm telling you, when Joe Namath was playing ball in his day, and listen, I don't know why San Francisco dumped one of the best men they ever had. I mean, Montana was tough. He'd get, I mean, have you ever seen the man work? He'd back out of there and just look around, and then you saw Rice running that way, and, and East running that way, and West running that way, and North running that way, and Montana's looking that way, and he'd go, boom! And they'd make, I said, ah, it worked. And keep that in mind as you think of the church that you're in today, my friend. Paul, the object of this very short but important lesson, was in the same predicament, my friends, as many believers find themselves in today. Coming out of the huddle. He came into Corinth. Great challenge set before him. So, we have to explain what he did when he came out of that huddle. And then the application of that is what are you going to do as you face this missions effort that your school has set before you and the mission effort of your life. Trust me, don't try to be like me if you're in my community. Be like you wherever you are. Don't try to be like Dr. MacArthur. There's too much of that going on. I want to be just like Dr. John. No, you don't. You want to come out of that huddle with that plan call for you. Oh, you're going to take the exegesis. You're going to do the work. But you're going to do it exactly where God tells you to do it, exactly the way he tells you to do it, by his standard, the word. But the point is, we've been huddling too long. Oh, you know what grieves me when a preacher gets up and he preaches? And we're having a Bible conference next week at Olivet. And some of those guys sitting right there will be speaking. They better not get up there and act like me. They better get up there and come out of that huddle and do what God tells them to do. They're obligated to do so. What do we see? The Lord impresses upon those of this special mission to stop fearing. For it says in verse 9, The Lord said to Paul in a night vision, Do not be afraid any longer. Now some of you, when you go on your mission endeavors, you're going to be, especially if you're going down into South Central. That's a fearful place to be if your skin complexion is different. I'm just going to tell you like it is. You have some folk down there that will if you look at you and say, what are they? The mission team with us last year, we were looking, we were trying to link up last year uh, with another group, I think, yeah, last year with another group, and we lost them, and we were caravanning through South Central at night. And I was in the first car, and we had about two or three other cars from the master's group, and some of the folk were saying on the street, what are them kind of people doing here? And it was a very exciting time because we got, <laughs> to say the least, it was a very exciting time because when we got back to our, to our base camp, if you can call it that, and we discussed that, I asked him, how did you feel? It was exciting to be in a different place, but to know that God was on our side. And you see, that's what missions is all about. Some of you are going to be taken all over the world and you're going to be in a different environment and God wants you to come out of that huddle. But it's a fearful time. Well, the Lord was not speaking to a rookie when he uttered these words. He was speaking to Paul, the established apostle. But you've got to ask this question, why was the man fearful? I'll tell you why he was fearful. 
It's just like if you took me out of my environment in South Central, you took me back east, Rhode Island somewhere. No one black lives in the town. Everybody's white. And it says, Coleman, we want you to go out there and witness on the street. And everywhere I go, I'm looking for a homie and I can't find one. <laughs> Why are these folk looking so strange? Well, now, boy, what you doing down here? I said, I'm just trying to share the what? The word? You trying to share the what? I'm going to tell you, my friends, there will be some kind of fear coming in in the atmosphere. And God would say, hey, Coleman, don't, don't fear. So even though Paul was the apostle, he was a rookie in territories that he had no way to go. That's why when you see some black Christians in South Central, man, hey, listen, we're walking around on home turf. We're feeling real good. But I'm telling you, there's a greater fear for me out there because of the message that I'm bringing to a depraved community. Just like if I went to a little community in Rhode Island, they're just as depraved in Rhode Island as in South Central. Say amen, church. Amen. Yeah. See, there it is. <laughs> the Lord was not speaking with the man who was entering a situation that was relatively new. Paul had a practice of entering into situations that, that, I mean, that were like that. But the Lord knew that he was fearful. And you see, some of you will be entering into situations that, have, that's what ministry, that, listen, you're going to enter into ministry and that ministry is, that's going to be a fearful thing. But God is speaking to us. He's saying, don't be fearful. Come on out of the huddle. I'm calling the plays here. Something else. This was a day and this was a play that had never been called before. Here Paul is in Corinth. He'd gone through certain parts of Asia Minor, but now he's in a different city. The capital city of sin. The play had never been called. What is a man going to do? The first thing that he does it's at night. He sleeps. He wakes up. He's tossing and turning. And Christ came to him in a divinely inspired vision and said, stop fearing. And when you look at that term in the Greek, it means that it was a continuous situation with him. Ever since he had gotten into the city, he was fearful. He wasn't speaking boldly. And it brings my mind to something else. When you look at verse 5 of Acts chapter 18, it says... In the second part of that verse, it says that Paul began devoting himself completely to the word. In other words, he was just engrossing himself, enmeshing himself into the blessed word of God. And while he's preparing himself for the mission, fear comes in. Fear, my friends, is a very normal human experience, especially when the experience is a new one to you. Also... Not only is this a new play that had never been called, but it had never been tried. Some of you will find out during your missions conference that there's going to be some new experiences. If you're working with a self-help group, if you're working with a runaway group, whatever the group is you're working with, if you're working with a phone counseling group, someone will curse you out over the phone and says, oh, you have money in the bank. You have a bed to sleep in. Oh, you're one of those middle-class Americans that's never had a problem. Well, let me give you what the real world is. I had a good brother, a Puerto Rican brother at a church, told me last night in the Bible study, Pastor John got a weird call. What was the call, my brother? He said, I got a call from this woman, and she was talking real weird over the phone, using all kind of foul language. And then she began to tell me things about myself. And then she began to growl over the phone. I said, oh, man, you had one of those persons that was being oppressed or possessed by a demon call you. 
What did you do? I'm waiting on the brother to tell me that he opened up the word and just battled them with the word. You know what he tried to do? He fell. He tried to argue on their level. He lost. I said, men, you have the Bible. Open it up. Quote the scriptures. When they holler, you holler right back over that phone. I said, man, what happened is Jesus called a play and you're trapped in the huddle trying to figure out what you're going to do. And he said, the next time she calls, I said, my brother, there may not ever be a next time. Take the time, take the experience and go with it. The beauty of this whole situation is that the Lord knows Paul's heart all the time and he knows yours. He knows that many of you in this room are fearful right now. He knows that many of you in this room, when you think about driving through South Central Los Angeles, would say, no, not me, I watch ABC. That's your problem. What you need to do is go on down there in daylight and just drive through the city and say, Lord, touch. Hey, listen, I would love to have some of you folk come on out to Olivet on a Sunday afternoon and worship with us. That would be great. No one would look at you strange if you came in our church. You'd come in there and I said, hey, brothers and sisters, let's just worship the Lord. I noticed my brother standing next to me singing your songs. We sing like that at Olivet. Praise the Lord. He is majestic. We've come out of the huddle. The time has been well spent. And my friend, the church is still huddling, trying to figure out what to do in racial relations. You know what to do. Peter found out on a rooftop one day. Oh, I found out that God is no regarder of faces. Right, Peter. So what's your problem? Paul had to finally tell him later on in the book of Galatians. Paul said, I withstood him to his face because he was wrong. Even though Peter had became an apostle, he was still huddling. And we do that at times. Let's look at the second point. Secondly, we see the Lord calling the play. He says to take the offense. When you look at verse 9b, he says, don't be afraid any longer, but go on speaking and do not be silent. In other words, he says, don't be overtaken in fear. Don't be overwhelmed by the fear, but I want you to do something else. I want you to speak. Now, Christ knows that speech is the key to breaking down barriers. If you are ever going to be successful in your endeavor in doing anything, it will come through the mode of speech, communication. And I communicate with more than my mouth. I communicate with my body. I communicate with my mind, with my intellect, with the will of God that he's given me. It would be totally ridiculous for me to think that my gift is merely the gift of gab. You see, my wife's been telling me that for 26 years. She says, I know what your gift is, honey bun. You talk a lot. And I says, you know, you're absolutely correct. When I was a little kid, when I came up, they couldn't shut me up. My dad told me I visited him about three weeks ago. And he says, you know, son, you're a unique strange creature and I said you ought to know he says no seriously for three years as a child you didn't say anything but then you begin to talk and you haven't shut up since I said ah good but here we see the Lord saying something to Paul he says speak it man take the offense I'm calling the play God knows that when everything else fails one's manner of communication in the end decides the outcome of the nature of things. Let's get back into that huddle. Quarterback me. And he says, I want you to run that win. I want you to run 40 feet. You know, play 1B, let's call it. And I want you to run that play. Now that running back doesn't say, nah, nah, Joe, I'm not going to listen to you. He's going to get out there and run it. 
when your pastors and your teachers give you assignments and give you spiritual assignments, you know the first thing you do? You want to stay in the huddle and say, no, I don't think that'll work. Especially for men that have tried to play before and it always works. And so here we see the Lord speaking to this man, telling him that I know the play, I'm calling the shot. The Lord Jesus issues the final orders to the head of the mission team. He says, speak and do not be silent. In other words, he says, speaking is an issue of the heart. You will not speak wherever you are unless your heart is moved to do so. You cannot speak, youngsters, if your teacher asks you to. You speak because there's something placed there. There's some power put there by God on high. And you know what I love about the Lord? The Lord is not, listen, the Lord is not into boundaries. One of the brothers says, on the way out this morning, he says, wait, we're not there yet? I says, oh no, man. This place is a long, long way from South Central. He says, man, we aren't there yet. I said, man, we're not even halfway there. He said, where's the Grace Church? I said, oh, man, it's way in back of us. We have to go a long way. Now, you know what? I'm going to share this with you good folk in this room right now. God has for you some long, long... Look, when you leave here, you're going to be a long way from the huddle. But you've got to remember the call. You've got to remember the play. You've got to know that he's still working in you. You've got to know that his plan is better than your plan. You've got to know that what he wants you to do is what he wants you to do, and it doesn't matter what you want to do. I cannot say, oh, Lord, to pastor a church as big as Dr. MacArthur's is my dream. No, friends, that's a nightmare. All those elders there, educated men, Ph.D., and I come in there, and let's say that you got one post hole digger, that's what I call them. <laughs> one Ph.D. says, well, Dr. John, I disagree. I disagree. You know what I would say? Listen, I'd call the play, are you ready to run out there and catch the ball? Because God has given me the play. I'm the senior pastor here. Oh, I have a lot of young men under me. And a lot of them are being trained and they're very articulate and they're very, hey, very, very well educated. Because in Olivet, if you're going to be a preacher there, you will be educated on a seminary level. Now, if you're not, then I'm going to put you in charge of teaching and things. And then I'm going to educate you. And then I'll know that what you're saying to the people is right. Teachers in our churches now in the South Central community must become that way. If you folk ever listen to the tragedy of certain radio programs where somebody is going, Wah! Oh, no, I'm sorry, because when you look at the black pastor, that's what you think we do. Oh, I know what they do, man. That guy can really put on the show. Oh, no, 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 no. You got that wrong. No one in the New Testament ever preached like that. That is an excuse for not having the doors opening for you at the right time. And now the time has been well spent. And folk in South Central are suffering because the word is not being proclaimed. And something else is. And in your communities, heresy is being proclaimed. All those big churches that you all got out there, man, come on, you got to raise your hand and you got to blah, 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 blah. Come on now. Get up off of it. It's a lie. It's never been true. Man, if you would think that Azusa Street is where truth came from, I know Azusa Street. I was born in this town and truth didn't come from Azusa Street. But we're intimidated. 
by people that do not have a working knowledge of the Word of God. Some of my brothers in the community are intimidated when I make statements like that. But I just tell them, let me hear it again. <laughs> there you go. You're stuck in reverse. Paul knew better. Christ told him, speak the truth. Teach those people. Speaking, my friend, speaking is commissioned with an intent of a response. Christ would never tell Paul to speak if there would not be a response. You may say, oh, you must not have a lot of people in your church, man. You down in your own people. I don't have any people. See, that's being in the huddle. When you finish college, if you think that you're supporting a people, no, no, no. You're supporting the standards of God's word. And in eternity, my friends, you're going to have to give an account for what you've done with the word. It is not contingent upon one's skin color. And I'm telling you, our country is going through a crisis right now, and we're just beginning to feel the tension of it. And this is just the beginning of it. Listen, you know, sometimes when I have nothing to do and I watch those silly talk shows, and um, I saw two bigots, a black one and a white one, and they were both talking about by 1995 there's going to be a horrendous race riot in this country that both groups are trying to start. And I said, well, ain't that just like a bigot? And I'm thinking with my wife, and I said, you know, I have the solution. For, you know, just put those two fools in a cage and let them go off on each other, and then at the end, bury them. But then I said, but you know what the tension of that is? The church is huddling. The church is huddling. The church is trying to see who's going to win. Well, my friends, you need to read the end of the book. And if you find America anywhere in eschatology, I'll eat it. We're not there. So it appears, my friends, that we've lost somewhere. But now you have to see yourself in a fight, in a battle. And you've got to come out of that huddle and do exactly what God tells you to do for the extension of his kingdom before he ends up. And if you know anything about the last earthly week in human history of seven years, my friends, if you are like me, believing that you'll be raptured before that great time comes, it is going to be literal hell on this planet. Sometimes I tease the folk at Olivet and I say, if you don't get your theology right, after the rapture takes place, and I said this when I was out here last January, many of you will be jumping and you won't be taken up, and then you're going to find out that you didn't get the play right. But unfortunately, there are many that call themselves Christians that will be jumping and they will not be raptured. You better make sure that you hold to the standard of the word. That is why this college is here and that is why your instructors are here, and that is why I came out here this morning, to let you know that even on my end of town, we hold to the standard of the Word. But we're in a huddle. That's where the church is. That's where the church is. Speaking is a result of knowledge received, and then knowledge shared. You will not speak unless you've received something. And in many of our churches today in America, they are receiving stories. They are receiving... Uh, let me give you... A story to try to illustrate what I'm saying. Now shut up and tell them what the word says. Well, now let me try to put it clear. No, no, no. You can't put it any clearer than the text explains. And most of our churches now are nothing but story time for 30 minutes. You know, visitors come to Olivet and, you know, I just tell the ushers, I think you better give them two Bibles because, listen, you, you come to Olivet and I don't preach less than 90 minutes. And singing... We may have one. We have a group of seven or eight people. I said, one song, there's only one song. See, we're not into music and jumping and bumping, you know. And then it says, open your Bibles. Wham! Everybody's looking. 
All right. Where's he going? Where's he? You see? Because I'm the quarterback calling the plays. Turn with me too, and everybody's this way. Now, most churches that you go into today, they're not like that. They're going there and they say, Preacher, entertain me. Tell me that I'm saved. Reaffirm my salvation. I can do none of that. I tell them out there, there's only one person in the room that I know that's saved right now, and it's me. And as for you, <laughs> let's see how you handle the call. Here it is, my friend. Let's look at the third point. Good, you're going to make it. The third point. Verse 10a. It says, for I am with you. See, my friends, now look, look at what the quarterback is saying. I am with you. I've called the play. Jesus is telling Paul, I'm, what, what do you fear? I'm here. But do you know who Jesus is in most of our lives? A figment of our imagination. Oh, I've never seen the man. Yes, I believe you. I've seen him not with the eye. Pastor John knows exactly what he used to be. And I know that in and of myself, I would not be here speaking to you if I were still that same man. Oh, yeah, I grew up in Olivet. But I became a Christian in Olivet when I was 23. And then I've been in that same church, and then the church says, look at this young man. He grew we had a lady in our homiletic graduation the other night. She got her certificate for being a fine Sunday school teacher, and she says, I remember John because we grew up in this church together. And she says, it's marvelous to see him grow to the statue where he is. You, the secret is very plain. The play was called. I took it. I'm the running back. And I'm just waiting on Jesus. Says, come on, man. Come on. Come on. Tell me which way you're going to throw the ball. And I'm going to run up. Yeah, but you see all them big defensive backs and things out there? Oh, man, I'm not concerned about them because when you throw the ball, you're going to have my blockers block for me. There's no blocking going on for anyone. Friends, Jesus said, I'm with you. Power is promised to the church. In other words, the team plays harder if it knows that there is money in the bank. Isn't that right? You're going to fly one team. If you flew your basketball team to another Christian college to play them, how would you feel if you went to the airport and the coach said, well, brothers, we need to pray. Why? Well, because no money is in the college, and we have to pray that they'll accept a, a promissory note for the plane ride. And you said, man, well, what are we playing for the masters for? Man, isn't there money in the bank? Many Christians act like there's no money in the bank. When Jesus says, don't fear I'm with you. He's saying there's money in the bank. I've called the play. Let's follow through. The team coming out of the huddle at times has to look to its coach. And when they look to its coach, and this coach in a figurative sense is Christ, we look to him for confidence. I tell him in Olivet, don't look to me for confidence. Look to me and see that I'm bending over waiting on the call to come. Because that's all the senior pastor is doing. Paul put it this way, and I believe in 1 Corinthians 11.1. 1, he says, be imitators of me as I imitate Christ. You see, but what we do in our church is we want to be like the pastor. And no, 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 you don't want to be like the pastor. You want to be like the quarterback, Jesus. He's calling the play, and he's saying, come out of the huddle and do what I told you to do. And that's the whole essence of what the team effort of Christianity is about. This is why, listen. Don't you think it a tragedy? And I do. I think it a tragedy that anyone would have to come and speak at a fine college like this and say, well, we know how you are and you know how I am. I, I, I thought, what are you talking about? 
How many of you here have ever eaten collard greens? Raise your hand. Okay, good. How about sweet potatoes? Raise your hand. Ooh. How about cornbread? Raise your hand. Ooh. How about apple cobbler? Raise your hand. Ooh, y'all just like me. What you talking about? You love just what I love. You love just what I love. And listen, and if you look at it rightfully, most of us come out of the very same culture, very same back. The only thing is, is that the minds in our homes that, you know, are polluted and all depraved that messed us up. See, when I raised my two daughters, I said, girls, I'm going to, listen, listen, everybody in this world will never love you. But Christ commands that if we are to see him, we must love everybody. Then I told my daughters, choose you this day. And don't have your love based upon whether they love you. Because the folk that will not love you will not see Jesus. You can rejoice in that. That's why my daughters don't have a problem with anyone. I'm the one with the problem. My daughter comes in and see, I married a non-black woman. I married an Asian woman. Now my daughter is dating a Latino guy. Guess who got problems? I got problems. My daughter says, Daddy, do you practice what you preach? I, and so I start going, ah, 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 It's a cultural thing. It's a cultural thing. See? And so that's what you're handicapped with. But Christ said, don't fear. I'm there with you. Power is promised. And that team looks to Christ for confidence. In verse 10b, as we go on, it says, For I am with you, and no man will attack you in order to harm you. In other words, the Lord tells the mission team that there is no defensive play in the mind of the enemy that will take this team out. Christ says, you will win. You see, now you have to understand that about Christianity. You win. And I'm not talking about the sinning saint. You want to read about the sinning saint, go to Galatians 6.1. I preached about that Sunday and I said the emphasis in Galatians 6.1 is not the sinning saint, but the mature Christian, which is to restore the sinning saint back to the proper relationship with Christ. And why do we miss that? Every time, listen, you can be in this college and you can see a brother that, you know, it's finals week and he's got to study for the final and his dad might have been an alcoholic, you know, an alcoholic. And you see this brother and he has to study for the exam and he's nervous and you catch him in the room with a pint of whiskey turned up. Now, you know he's a believer. He says, oh, I saw him drinking Gilby's gin. He's not saying, come on. You worship, you pray with him. The guy's going through some, what are you going to do? I'll tell you what you're going to do. We're going to get a bullet and put it right between his brains and say, thank God it wasn't me. Right. Read Galatians 6.1 within its context, my friend. The spiritual one bends over backwards to help that failing brother and sister. It is very important. The emphasis is not put on the sinning saint as it is on the one that ain't sinning and the one that ain't going to help him. You're a team, and you're to act as a team effort, especially in college. Especially in college. So he tells the team that they're going to win. Look at verse 10c, where it says, I have many people in this city. In other words, the coach communicates that he has scouted the area and that he foresees success for the city. I love the way Christ put it. He says, number one, nobody's going to hurt you. Nobody's going to hurt you because I'm, I'm already in charge here. And then he says, this is why I don't want you to be fearful. I have many people here that haven't heard about me yet. Now, this is the uh, predestination aspect here. In other words, what is Christ saying? He's saying there are believers here that don't know they're believers yet. So I don't need you fearful. I need you doing what I told you to do. 
That's why when God sends you folk out on your mission field and stuff, and I don't care if they send you to Mexico, Arizona, Utah, Nairobi, Egypt, wherever you go, God is saying, I have many people in this city. You might say, Corinth, Corinth, man, please, I know what that temple have, man. Aphrodite is, her temple is there, man. I know, man, they have male prostitutes all throughout that city. You got many what? Yes, and I got some near the male prostitution temple that I need you to go and witness to because you all together came out of that same man. Not me. You're not listening to the call. And let me share this with you, friends. God is going to send you where you belong. You know, some of you may have a jail ministry. Why? Because all your people spend all their life in jail. You know how to talk to them. Some of you may have a ministry to prostitutes. Why? How do you know? Because, hey, before you got saved, you were prostituting all through junior high and high school. God saved you. Now, he's not going to send me to a dope dealer because I've never taken dope. I smoke a little marijuana now and then. <coughs> I said, why are they doing this? I couldn't get it. So he's not going to send me to anybody that's on cocaine. But, hey, listen, I know some good brothers in my church that were strung out behind that. And then when another brother or sister comes there that's strung out, I said, oh, oh, I know what your madness is. You, come over here, come over here, come on. All together came out of that. Go over there and witness to that person. Now, you know what the hypocrite Christian does? Don't tell people what I was. He says, man, I'm just calling the play. You are that. He's called you to minister. See, I don't understand why someone would take cocaine. I was on the way to church yesterday. I saw this man. He had to be 50 years old, Alvin. And he was sitting down, and I thought he was lighting a cigarette because we were at the signal. And when he put his hand down, it was one of them pipes. And the guy was skinny as a guardrail. And man, clothes all dirty, eyes all bloodshot red. And I told my wife, look at that. Now, I couldn't stop my car and get out because I've never used cocaine. I don't know what the passion is. There's some folk in the church that have, and they came out of it. Christ is called to play. Go and talk to them. But you know what we say? I won't dirty my hands. My friends, you're huddling. You're huddling. And that's the way the church huddles. The coach communicates that he scouted the area. And that's beautiful. I have many people in this police or in this city. In other words, he's saying, I've got some folk out there waiting to hear from you. Now, in most cases, if you're a college student, Christ would say, I've got some folk out there that needs to see from you. Because they're not listening to the church now. Because we talk Jesus, but we don't walk it. I gave this example in the church as I preached Sunday. And he got a laugh. The brothers were listening to it on the tape on the way down. I said that some of you parents need to pay attention to your children because they are listening to things. And then I said, oh, yeah, I got it. Whoops, there it is. And everybody in the church laughed. I said, good. You've been listening. And then I'm trying to communicate. You better find out what the there it is they're talking about. I was even driving down the street on the west side of Los Angeles, and they have a new restaurant called Oops, There It Is. And one brother in the car asked me, what did that mean? And I told him, and he said, oh, my God. I said, oh, yes. Immorality, my friends, is all around us, and it's common to get into the slang of things, and even Christians do it. We do it arbitrarily. We're just having a little fun. We don't really mean anything. The Lord is outraged. The Lord is outraged because we're huddling. And then what we'll do is we'll come to church and we say our little fancified prayers and we don't mean anything for the master. And that is the tragedy of living like that. Oops, there it is. Sure, I got you. 
The implication is what as I end up. The team effort is not a hopeless effort. If you're on the team, it's not a hopeless effort. I want you to be able to listen to the calls from your Christ. Some of you fill out these little yellow sheets that they've given you and you're going to go to various churches. You're going to be doing things in the community and in other cities and in other states. Pray about that. Secondly, we've huddled for a long while. The church is still huddling. You youngsters need to break out of that huddle and say, hey, man, we've been going over the text. We know what it means. For God's sake, when are we going to do something? Thirdly, we must take the charge that's set before us and we must speak. I do it. That's why whenever I'm given an invitation, I never refuse it. I always take it. And fourth and lastly, we must trust in Christ as the head coach, the one who has been calling the plays. Now, let's say that you don't want to come out of the huddle as I conclude. Let's say that your being in the huddle makes you comfortable. If you're a believer, the Bible tells me that you're going to get to heaven, but you're going to miss tremendous rewards that Christ has for you. Your Christianity was not an accident. It was not a mistake. It was for a purpose. And I'm going to conclude with this. America is in terrible shape. In terrible shape. Reading Dr. MacArthur's new book, Ashamed of the Gospel, and he refers to a portion of the book of Timothy where he tells Timothy, don't be ashamed of the gospel. And I believe that many people today are just tragically ashamed of being Christian. Be Christian. Be proud about it. And then come out of that huddle and run as fast as you can and put your arms up as if you're waiting for God to assist you. And when he gives you that play, tuck and protect that ball and run to the goal line. And when you get to the end, trust me, he's going to say, well done. Thou good and faithful servant. Let's pray. Father, we pray that we will come out of that huddle and do what you ask us to do. And we pray that as we do that, you may receive the glory for our efforts. I pray your spirit in the lives of each of these believers in this room, that whatever charge you give them, that they will understand that it's time to come out of that huddle and get to work. Father, what a just what a great privilege it is to be able to share your blessed word. And as you spoke to Paul, speak to us. To have us know what your will is. And we'll forever thank you and praise you. We ask it this morning in Jesus' name. Amen.